Hello and welcome to this episode of To The Point with Portland, a podcast for communications professionals that gets to the heart of the biggest questions in communications, policy and reputation. I'm David Page, a Senior Advisor to Portland, and today I'm delighted to be joined by Zoe Abrams, Executive Director, Strategy and Communications at the British Red Cross. Zoe and I met when I was running Tesco's community and charity programmes, in which the British Red Cross plays a prominent role, especially through the pandemic. Before joining the British Red Cross in 2015, Zoe worked at the children's charity Bernardo's. Before that, she spent nearly a decade working in government and politics in Whitehall and Westminster. In this episode, we'll be discussing what to make of the world right now, what it takes to grow understanding of an already high-profile charity, and how charities and corporates work best together. This is To The Point. Zoe, hello. Delighted to be here with you. Lovely to be here too. You've been at the helm of communications and advocacy at the British Red Cross through the pandemic, through Ukraine and countless other emergencies. What are the lessons that you've learned? Well, the biggest learning curve that I had was actually the UK emergencies of 2017. And I'd been in post for roughly 18 months at that point in time and had just launched a large restructure of my directorate, was in the process of replatforming and redesigning the website and working through the brand promise. And then the Manchester Arena attack happened. And then very shortly afterwards, the London Bridge attack and then the Grenfell fire. And that was quite an extreme experience because internally the directorate was going through quite a lot of change. And then externally, there was an event after event after event, which the British Red Cross was front and foremost of responding to. And what I really learned through that experience, which has kind of helped me through the pandemic and through um, through the, most, the more recent experience of the, um, of the conflict in Ukraine escalating, is around how important it is to keep things in perspective and how important it is to really look after your team and make sure that they are looking after themselves as well as being clear about what the priorities are and supporting them to you know do their best work in what can be extremely challenging situations i mean there is some sort of basic stuff that in communications is always true around being responsive being able to um very quickly analyze a situation um, and think about how you're going to position yourself in regards to it, what you have to offer in that space. I mean, and obviously, as the British Red Cross, what, what we hope to be able to offer is a way for people to be kind in times of crisis. And, you know, there are some things that stay the same, no matter what the issue is. So, you know, just good communications that are aligned with your brand and that um, bring the story to life and that give voice to the people who can... Um, really tell their story and I think there's also a real need to be you know whatever unwanted opportunity you're dealing with I mean and let's face it for a humanitarian organization like the Red Cross that is what we deal in is unwanted opportunities other people's crises are our moment to really step up to the plate 
Um, it's important to be open and transparent. And it's also worthwhile being intentionally humble, like practicing being vulnerable so that you can course correct really quickly. And that, that in dialogue with your own people, as well as with the external world, I would suggest. And you mentioned Manchester, you mentioned Westminster. What does the British Red Cross do? What is the, what's their role after an incident like that? So in relation to emergencies, we will often have um, relationships with the emergency services in an area. So fire brigade, the ambulance service, the police. And when a big incident happens, we will get asked to come and help set up what we call a rest centre. And that's really somewhere people can go who've been affected. Um, So obviously people who are badly injured would go straight to hospital. And then quite often, but we'll have a space where people who are looking, who've observed the the crisis happen or who are looking for people or, you know, just some people, people need somewhere to go and have someone to talk to. Um, And then we did quite deep work in relation to both Manchester and Grenfell. Grenfell really supporting people who'd been bereaved. Um, we some of our, our volunteers went with people to, for example, the mortuary and helped identify bodies, etc. So they were there with their families when they had to do that, because obviously it's a massively tumultuous moment in time. But again, at Grenfell, we did all sorts of things like, for example, there was this huge outpouring of, of public support in terms of people giving things, shoes, clothes, etc. all got piled up under the underpass. And a lot of it was kindly given but not necessarily um, suitable to be handed out so we processed it through our large number of retail stores that we've got and all the money went back into the fund which then got distributed to the people who'd been affected by the Grenfell fire and we do a huge amount of public fundraising as well so we, we, we've raised huge amounts of money for each of these emergencies from the UK public most recently the Ukraine conflict we've raised in the region of, you know, it's over over 170 million pounds now we've raised um, to help the people affected by the by the conflict in Ukraine. So multiple layers in which we help people, and communicating that mm-hmm. is is my job ultimately, helping to raise awareness of what the Red Cross really does. People have a sense that we're a good thing, um, and that we're there in times of certainly war, and that we might have something to do with health, but real understanding of what the Red Cross does. The, just the kindness, the kind of human contact, the, the skill and care that our staff and volunteers provide to people in crisis is is something that has to continually be worked at. Yeah, because that's what I was going to ask. The recognition of British Red Cross is is huge. Everyone's everyone's heard of it. Everyone recognises uh, the logo. But what are the challenges? What are the priorities for you leading? Uh, communications and and strategy in terms of taking that forward. The context changes all the time. What we deal in is crisis. So we we have three priority areas of crisis that we work on, which are disasters and emergencies, which can be anything from, you know, a literal war, a hurricane, through to an unexplained unexplained Second World War bomb that someone finds at the end of, you know, digging up a house or something in, in Slough. Then we work on displacement migration. So, you know, there are more displaced people in the world than than since any time since the Second World War. And in the UK, the British Red Cross is the biggest provider of services to people in the asylum system. So we work with around 30,000 refugees a year. Um, And then the other area we work is really supporting the NHS, particularly taking people home from hospitals so that they can live independently and then helping people either access healthcare 
or stop being admitted from hospital for non-clinical reasons like loneliness or isolation, that kind of wraparound help with the NHS. And we've worked with the NHS since its inception. In fact, the British Red Cross used to run the blood service before the NHS was set up. And what you can hear in all of that is that we have to flex to whatever the situation is. And so that kind of continually putting the Red Cross in the context of a context is part of the job so that people can understand. When we do get the opportunity to engage with people at a slightly deeper level than just the Red Cross is here, it's humanitarian, it's neutral and impartial no matter who you are or where you come from, we're here to help you make sure you get your basic human needs met. When you start to go into a little bit more, people people are really enthused about it. It's just because we don't do cancer or guide dogs or something re- or children or something really tangible, there's always a little bit more work to bring out what we do and that ultimately what we do is that connection between people who want to be kind with people who are experiencing a crisis and really working that and telling that story is 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 the job mm-hmm. and and you've mentioned um terrible things in the world that that happen and uh, and and how the british red cross can and does help um optimistic or pessimistic i mean how how do you stay optimistic, which I assume you are, how do you stay optimistic with everything that's going on in the world around us? I am optimistic about humanity. I really fundamentally believe that the vast majority of people are good people and that our our instincts are actually to be kind to one another and to try and help one another. And I would be dishonest if I were to say that I wasn't finding as a as a person as well as a, a leader of a humanitarian organisation this time that we're living through challenging. I mean, it does feel like it's been one thing after the other for a long period of time. Um, and the impact of climate change and exacerbating crises, making all existing crises worse and creating new ones um, and the kind of global economic situation, these are challenging times they are it feels different from for example when you know I was 20 years younger just leaving university coming into the workforce however I feel that you know myself and my colleagues are in an incredibly privileged position which is to help ensure that the people who are alive today can live with dignity and experience compassion and really really focusing in on the you know how can how can I how can we make things better is the way of I think maintaining optimism um, now we met during a pandemic when uh, virtually uh, when I was at Tesco. Um, on that, what are the highs and lows of working with corporate organisations? Well, the highs working in partnership with corporate organisations as a charity are really about the um, opportunity to better achieve your objectives. Like, so there has to be a mutuality. There has to be a shared sense of purpose a real strategic alignment of what you're trying to achieve. And if the organisations can come together on that level, huge, wonderful things are possible. Um, there's clearly, for a charity, there's a, there's a really important financial element, which is that you know, we, need, we need money to be able to do our good works. But there's also, uh, there's also a real engagement opportunity both within the charity itself to be invigorated and enthused by the partnership, but also with the staff and the customers, um, the shareholders, whomever it is on the corporate side. If they can also be enthused, then that's a huge pool of advocates and enthusiasts and quite often fundraisers as well, which is amazing. 
Um, and that can get amplified through social channels, um, through conversations that people have with their families. You know, there's there's a real potentiality there. Um, and there's there's a kind of diversity of thought that comes in, the entrepreneurial element that can be added in by the corporates quite often really, really beneficial for a charity. So there's so many ways in which corporate partnerships can be really fabulous, and particularly if they're long-term relationships as well. So the, the dream is to have multi-year partnerships um, as opposed to kind of one-offs um, and to have some diversity within it of funding so that it's not only restricted funds for specific projects, but there's some element of general funds where which gives the charity a bit of flexibility and fluidity. That's the gold dust for a charity, the general funds. Um, the, the lows can be where it becomes a bit more instrumental, where, um, where it becomes transactional. Um, and it feels like the corporate partner feels like it's buying a service of the charity as opposed to it genuinely being in partnership. That's that's when it can be more challenging. Um, and I guess what I would say is this is not a common experience, but something you have to keep working at that sense of partnership and how um, how you can achieve things that are really great together. Um, and probably being in conversation is the key thing at all the different levels within the partnership. So the day to day, in reality, the partnership tends to be managed by junior members of staff on both sides. But you need to be able to have access at the different levels, including at the strategic leadership level, so that that sense of partnership and shared endeavour is maintained and doesn't become um, uh, it doesn't become transactional or sort of reductionist in terms of what we're trying to achieve. With all those things, you know, with all those things in place, there's amazing things that can be achieved. Yes, I've always felt that it's around mutuality. There has to be a mutuality of purpose. Something which I've seen in my career on the on the corporate side is the corporate kind of feels because it's giving money that the charity then should just deliver against the corporate's aims. And there isn't necessarily an understanding quite often that... um, the charity, of course, will have its own aims, exactly what it wants to do and what it wants to achieve, and often will be a large, complex organisation, exactly the same as a corporate. Um, and it's getting that sense um, that both organisations can bring unique attributes, but there needs to be mutuality and there needs to be a, a clear aim, a joint approach. I find simple mechanics as well. There needs to be something that everybody can understand and ultimately customers or consumers who can get behind the partnership as well can understand um, and and take part in easily as well. Absolutely. I mean the mechanic is kind of should be the tip of the iceberg, right? Mm-hmm. It's the it's the elevator pitch or the call to action or the almost the strap line that everyone can understand. And then ideally underneath that you'd have like a real depth of real kind of strategic alignment and work with really clear kind of measurement against it yes measurement being key and really being clear on the outcome and output and there i mean there are some other things i think that can really help make corporate partnerships work really well so certainly for a big organization like the red cross who you know we aspire to be uh the leading um voluntary sector emergency response organization in the country And that doesn't necessarily mean that we have to be the ones responding to every emergency. What we want to see is that any person in crisis who needs help gets it. And one of the ways that we that we see ourselves delivering that increasingly is in partnership with other organisations, including at a local level. And one of the offers of a large charity 
I believe, should be around helping the corporate partner work with not only the large charity, potentially other charities, smaller charities in a network in order to be able to achieve those aims. That's kind of like a real point, I think, where things can work really well so that the relationship is inclusive rather than exclusive. The effect of the pandemic and the the effect of coming through the pandemic on relationships between charities and and, and corporates have, has that has that changed? I mean, I know we obviously met through through the pandemic. Um, how have you noticed that with your other corporate partnerships here? Again, one of the privileges of being the Red Cross is when times of crisis, people come to us, including yeah. big corporate partners. So as the during the pandemic, as as the you know people were going into lockdown, I was going to say the country was shutting down, but it felt like that, right? Mm. But actually, we all carried on quite well. Regardless, it was extraordinary what what we achieved in this country and everywhere else. But also, as the as the conflict in Ukraine escalated six months ago now, many people came to us to say, you know, how can we help? What can we give you? How can we work together? When the dust settles, so to speak. Some of the trends that we're seeing coming through are a kind of exacerbation of, I think, what's been there all along, which is an, a corporate partners wanting us to have a very hyper-local footprint and also at the same time global reach. Now, as the Red Cross, we can do that. You know, we are, we are present in uh, the whole of the United Kingdom and we're part of the world's largest humanitarian network. Um, with you know millions of m- millions and millions of people involved in 192 Red Cross and Red Crescent societies across the world, um, and that balance still of being able to talk about what's happening in a neighbourhood versus talk about kind of like global trends is is quite a a feat to balance. We're in a fortunate position where we can do that, but I guess the point is that that's the experience that a lot of corporate partners are having mm. that they're operating in an area and they're operating internationally as well. Um, I feel that the conflict in Ukraine has been quite a shock. It was, oh, this is really happening. And we've become more normalised to it now, as we do. I was reflecting that the crossing on small boats of the Mediterranean in 2015 was a huge story, as there was this massive exodus from Syria of people affected by the conflict. And there's still a lot of that going on, including across the Orange Channel, but mm. it's just not the same heightened awareness. And in, even in, you know, in, in the context of the Ukraine crisis, it's reduced down in regards to media coverage. But the humanitarian need is still there. Mm. So that balance of kind of keeping people uh, compassionate and engaged whilst getting on with business and adapting that's a real trend and we're having to move faster and faster on that. You know, it does feel like the kind of the, the crises are stacking up. We've had this incredibly dry summer where the fire brigade have had to respond to more wildfires uh, this summer than they've done in the whole of the previous year. You know, you've got the Ukraine crisis and what we're really facing into quite a serious crisis in Africa around food as well because of the same cost of living issues. Mm. And again, that is coming through really clearly with partnerships now so everybody including our own organization is thinking about what the secondary impacts of the crisis in ukraine what are they on our people our customers and for us our people in crisis they're thinking about wages they're thinking about the cost of heating and lighting their own buildings you know whether what the profits are looking like let alone what are we going to do to help Mm. on our csr agenda at the moment so that's coming through too 
Do you notice a difference in generations? Do you notice a difference in, in how people respond depending on what generation they are? I really do think there's quite a profound generational shift. You know, I'm a Gen Xer. If I look back at my comparative youth, it was a different world in which we were growing up where it felt like a kind of onward march towards progress. And it must feel very different now if as somebody who's kind of like entering the workforce in their early 20s, you know, that the having to pay for, pay for tertiary education, prospect of owning a home massively reduced without huge amounts of support, very, very real experience of climate change, let alone the kind of theoretical threat of it, digital natives, and for the new generation coming into the workforce, Gen Zers and millennials, their scope of influence over the world and their own lives is very different from the ones that boomers and, and Gen Zers had. I think it's really important for employers um, and leaders like myself, who lead a lot of people who are from these generations, to really have our ears open and understand what brings value to the workforce and how important it is for the new generation of workforce to see the place that they're working as aligning with their values and really living up to what it says it's going to do. So, you know, there's a kind of big push around authenticity and about being really, really being able to be your whole self and be valued um, and seen for who you are. And that makes complete sense to me in a context where actually you've got minimal control over the external environment. So what you can do is make sure that you are, you know, living in line with your values and you're ex- and what you're doing is kind of is a way of expressing yourself that you feel is true to you. The other thing that I would reflect is I have a personal view, which is that actually the hybrid working is quite good for those of us who are at more of the middle stage of our lives or onwards from there. A lot of people have got a more comfortable living environment. Mm. It's fine to work from home. You've got space to do it. Yeah. Potentially you've got childcare responsibilities. You probably already have all the relationships set up in, in your working life, in your personal life. You know, you, you're, like, you're kind of where you want to be. But if you're starting out... It's you totally think, different. Totally different. If you think mm. back to... If I think back to my early days in the press office of government departments... Most of what I learned was from watching other people. Mm. And you just can't do that down a Zoom call. You can't see people like pull off amazing feats or make terrible mistakes or understand the political dynamics from people working virtually. So I do think there's a responsibility for those of us who are comfy at home to get a bit uncomfy and make the effort to come into the office and spend some time with people in their uh, at the start of their career to make sure that we're doing our proper job of of teaching and mentoring. I think that's a very, a very valid point. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much indeed for taking part into the point. Thank you too. Thank you for listening to this episode, the last in season three of To The Point with Portland. If you'd like to make a donation to the British Red Cross or find out more about its work, please head to redcross.org.uk. To find out more about Portland, our expertise in corporate charity partnerships, or to get in touch with me, 
please go to portland-communications.com. Goodbye.